tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? And welcome to Tinfoil Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. Rock. Okay, that was a little slow, but you know what? We're <laughs> doing the best we can. Joining me as always via the power of Skype, the man, the myth, the legend, Xavier Guerrero. What's up? How are you, dude? How's the Good. den? Deep from the oh, den. Yeah. The Still cholo partying. Still partying. Hey, dude. Here's a fun life hack. If you're looking to get supplies and you go to your normal uh, restaurant, your normal uh, uh, store and they're out, go to a third world store like a Mexican store, uh, any Ethiopian store, Haitian store. They don't give a shit about this virus. Everything's normal, dude. I, I, I'm in the valley. I'm getting a couple of them. Uh, and w I mean, dude, I'm loading up in these third world stores. You're so, right. You're so right. I went to one of those Korean stores, and they still had Top Ramen for days. That Japanese one, the weird Japanese. They had Top Ramen, sushi. They don't give a fuck, but you're right. They got everything, dude. And joining us on the ones and twos is Johnny Woodard. How are you, Johnny? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. About as good uh, as you Johnny, can, anybody can be doing right now. Johnny, uh, as you guys can tell, we are not in the studio, so we're doing our best we can to bring you, still bring you shows. We're doing this each from our own places. You can judge uh, uh, how we're living based on our backgrounds, um, but we are all doing the best we can, and we want to put out content. We're super excited to have our guest on. We'll, get, we'll bring him in in a couple seconds. Um, real quick, I want to get into, uh, guys, I know these are tough times. You're sitting at home. You're watching every YouTube. A lot of you guys are tapping out Netflix. You've watched <laughs> Tiger Kings. You're over it. Okay. You've moved on. Uh, you guys are looking for stuff. Listen, the news is going to drive you crazy. Don't watch the news. If you really want to get some good inside scoop, go to my Patreon. I'm doing daily doses every 20 minute hitting quits. We call it. I'm taking whatever the big discussion is that day, and we're doing deep dives with some of your favorite researchers. Just go to patreon.com backslash tinfoilhat, and you will get a daily episode uh, Monday through Friday on whatever the big thing is. So just go to that. And then uh, if you want to buy t-shirts, I know it's hard time. We're not even going to push the t-shirts. Go to tinfoilhatt-shirts.com. That's about it. Um, that's it. Anything else? Oh, we got some shows coming up, assuming that they're going to go. Uh, April 11th, we are at the, um, where we room. at the rec room in Huntington beach. I believe that's almost sold out. So grab your tickets now. Uh, and then we're going to be May 1st. We're in Spokane, uh, at the Spokane comedy club. May 2nd, we are at the to Tacoma comedy oh. club. And, and that is, um, that is at the, uh, uh, Tacoma. That is a 420 show. And then eight, uh, May 9th, we will be live 
at the Den in Chicago. Grab those tickets now. We're trying to do two shows. So if the first one sells out, we'll bang out a second one. Uh, and also April not 16th, depending on if the band's still happening, I will be at the Ventura Comedy Club doing a hour of Cabin Fever comedy. I am locked in with my girls. I'm loving it. I'm a combination of the new Joker meets the Shining. So we'll see how this goes so far. Okay. Uh, guys, how are you guys holding up during this? I'm doing great. I've, doing, I've been hanging out with my girlfriend a lot. Uh, basically moved in over I there because sh- <laughs> she, she's so paranoid about this shit. She doesn't want me leaving. Uh, like yeah, of course. Uh, well, well, she these, know, you I know what happened? Women she are read, behind the pandemic. Well, have you noticed they're not getting infected? Like the women, women are getting infected at a much lower rate than men. It's something like 60, 40, which is, which is surprising to I, me. Yeah, unless you're super elderly. And um, we'll get into this with our guests. But anyway, uh, she read a story that West Hollywood has the highest rate of infection in L.A. County. And so now she won't let me go back home. Well, have you technically told her that the studio is not in West Hollywood, is in Hollywood? I have, yes. That's why I'm here and today. She and she does not <laughs> yeah, care. Yeah, well, no, that's why I made it to the studio today. Because, yeah, it's not in West Hollywood. Anyway, but yeah. Oh, it's, Johnny's uh, in studio. I am not. Uh, guys, today's show is brought to you by our uh, good friends at Grubhub, dude. Together, guys, we can help save restaurants we love. Every order on Grubhub helps support local communities as restaurants rely on delivery and pickup orders during this time. Contactless deliveries is available. Social distancing your pitas, your pizzas, your your hot wings, okay? Your uh, in XG's uh, case, your Charlie's sauce, okay? You name it, you get it, dude. Special promotions will be available daily on Grubhub. Look for neighborhood specials so you can save your money and save a restaurant. Your pickup delivery orders can help save a local restaurant during this d- difficult time. You can also donate your change to every order to support Grubhub community relief funds to support restaurants and drivers impacted by COVID-19. Dude, uh, uh, Grubhub is processing almost half a million daily orders, servicing 20 million active diners, and and sent more than 2 billion total tips to drivers, man, okay? They have the best customer service. Like, I have one driver when I use Grubhub. He got lost. The, 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 the customer service was able to help me get my order done right and get it sent to me. And they were kind enough to take care of everything. Okay. Grubhub has wins based on price, especially since they don't add additional service fees and employ any kind of surge prices. Okay. They are the best. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your app store on your phone, download the Grubhub app. Okay. And just for our listeners, if you download download the Grubhub app and enter the promo code SAMT, all one word, capital letters, SAMT, you'll get $10 off, $15 or more orders for new drivers. That's promo code SAMT for $10 off any order. So download the Grubhub app today and use the promo code SAMT and enjoy the restaurant you love. Let's save our local businesses. Let's help our friends put a little money in their pocket by giving a little, get some orders and dropping a little tips on them. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Thank you, Grubhub. Promo code SAMT. Enough of the business, guys. Joining us, uh, he's been on the show before and he's back. Uh, his new book is TDY. Please welcome to the show, Douglas Valentine. Douglas, 
I feel like we've done this before. How are you, brother? <laughs> it's nice to see you both again. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. I, I think like everybody else, you know, I feel like I stepped into a, a virtual reality, you know, like some strange world that I, I never expected to see in my life. And and so, you know, I mean, I, I guess like everybody else, just trying to do the practical thing right now, you know, to, to, to boil it down to what's the most practical thing you can do. And, and, and uh, you know, in terms of what's going on behind the scenes, you know, that that's just like going to produce a lot of anxiety, you know? So, so really in order to get through this thing myself, just my wife and I just trying to be practical about it and stick to what we know, you know, the, the, the basic things. And, and uh, because who knows what's going on? I mean, uh, earlier you said, don't watch the news. That's something I stopped doing about three days ago. You know, yeah. I was sick of it. I mean, it was like, it was like what it was not helping me in any kind of practical way. And so the only really news I watch anymore is local news to find out what's going on here in Springfield, Massachusetts. You know, the national stuff just is, you know, it's like who can tell what's up from down, you know. And so just really trying to like some of the things you were talking about earlier, focus well, on the local, focus on what's happening locally. Do what's practical. Don't get too overly excited about things that are out of your control because right now a lot of things are out of your control and the situation is changing from minute to minute. And, of course, this is something that any soldier would ever tell you, too. You know, a soldier isn't, isn't trying to figure out what the war is about. <laughs> you know, he's not trying to figure out who's in charge or what the... What the, the um, uh, alternative ulterior motives might be. He's trying to figure out, well, what do I eat today? Where am I going today? What's the guy over there doing? What's the guy over there doing? So I think that in the most practical way, that's just how I'm trying to, to think about it and not worry about all the craziness that's, that's going on. Well, that's a great point, uh, Douglas. I, I totally agree with you. You know, we were, we had the blessings of uh, uh, Martha's mom was uh, staying with us, and she's really helping because I just had two twin girls, and um, Ghost and Ninja are their names. And uh, the trade-off was if she came and helped, we had to watch CNN every night over and over and it was just it was just fear porn man just over and over and it's so weird because well, that's just it you know i mean if you watch the national news you're gonna do nothing but raise your blood pressure you know which is doesn't help it doesn't help to be walking around in a state of anxiety of heightened anxiety so the whole idea is to control your environment right now to the extent that you can to make it as as, um, as calm and as peaceful as you can. You know, and, and the first thing to do is to turn off network national news and, and, and find out what's going on in your own little local community. You know, if, yeah. you're, if, you're, in, if you're in the city, what's going on in your neighborhood? You know, if you're out in the country, just, just figure out what, which ones of your neighbors need help which ones are okay you know uh, uh stay aware of what's going on locally i mean it's 
it's just so strange. I had a friend the other day call up from New York City, and she said she could smell the ocean for the first time in her life of living. Yes, in- dude. Yes, like so the little. environment's doing better. Yeah, there's, there's so little traffic that you know, stuff. walking down the street, she could, it was like. Oh, I live in a beach community. I didn't realize that. You know, I mean, the the ocean's just like right over there. So (laughs) everything's different. But so, you know, I mean, this is just what my wife and I are trying to do. Just be practical and and stick to the basics. I got it. What you wanted to say, XG, real quick? I was just saying, as we're talking about the news, I was watching uh, the Mexican news. I went to go see my mom. It's the same thing. The same thing. And they're criticizing uh, the country of Mexico because they're kind of very nonchalant about it. They don't really care. But she was watching it and you can see the same thing. They're criticizing the president of Mexico because he's still hugging people, kissing them because he thinks it's fake and stuff. And it's the same thing. Fear porn everywhere. They're telling Mexicans that this is bad. Stay home. They're yeah. making it seem that no one's going to get their money because there's a lot. When Mexican commercials are talking about illegals, they're like, you're not getting your money. And they're all freaking out. These And it's just it's a shit show. And, and yeah, all so of the world, though, just, Spanish and just English. Like, be like Steve McQueen, you know, like, a, you know, be cool. Go slow, you know. XG, what, what do you mean? Slow yourself down, you know, and, 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 and uh, uh, don't get all concerned about things that are out of your control. What do you mean not getting your money, actually? What you want? What do you mean not getting your money, actually? Uh, what does that mean? Oh well, well, because if you're if you don't have a social security number or nothing, you're not getting money. You're not a citizen. Oh so yeah, 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 money. yeah. And there's a lot of people that that have restaurant jobs that don't have that money that literally were living paycheck to paycheck. So they're freaking out even more. Oh, because at see. least now the U.S. citizens thinking like, oh, at least I'll get a thousand bucks. Right. Those right. illegals here are not getting jack shit, and they're telling them you're not getting nothing. They're freaking out. They're like, what do I do? So it's oh, a that, whole different yeah. situation. And the fear porn is way worse over there. That's fascinating. You know what else is crazy? Douglas was talking about how um. You know, talked about your, you know, go talk to see how your neighbors are doing, check in on them. I'm going above neighborhood watch. I'm starting a neighborhood militia. Okay. <laughs> Me and everybody on my block who's got guns, we're going to roam the neighborhood, making sure everybody's safe, making sure the ladies and the babies are all good. That's what we're doing. Okay. I'm thinking globally acting locally okay i'm yeah, reversing yeah. that stuff man i am going to be a neighborhood vigilante all right anything pops daddy's got a new gun and he's bringing hell with him all right speaking of hell vietnam was crazy i want to get in to <laughs> your <laughs> hey dude what a segue that was that was amazing <laughs> sam that's like the best segue i've ever heard in my life okay. <laughs> Douglas, uh, Douglas, tell us a little bit about your book, TDY. What does TDY stand for? What does it mean? It means temporary duty. It's militaries and um, uh, TDY, temporary duty. It's a, the most, it's a, um, you know, when you write, you try to adjust your style to the substance of the book. So it's a very bare bones book. Okay. So I thought a title that was very bare bones would reflect the nature of what this book is about. And what it is, is just how this secret intelligence operation unfolds. And as it, you know, I mean, it starts off innocently enough, just the way 
actually the way I came about hearing about the story started out innocently enough also, but as it progresses, it turns into something that's like as chaotic and as crazy and as, you know, uh, hard to figure out as like what we're going, what's going on right now. And in that sense, the book is, is a, um, uh, analogy of what our world is about and how all of us can get caught up in these kind of things that are out of our control. And then what do you do when you find yourself in the midst of so much greater than you? Just, you know, it starts out slow and then pretty soon you're just catapulting along. How does this guy that the, is a, the main character in this story, and his name is Pete, how do you survive? How do you get through? And it shows how he starts out being this kind of, you know, he's a young guy, he's 22 years old, and he thinks he's going to live forever. You know, and, 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 and um, he's in an Air Force base, and it's 1967, and he's a photojournalist, and he's bored. Uh, you know, they do nothing on a, on, a, on a military base. You know, he's in the, and he's a photojournalist, so he's always signing up for what's called TDY assignments. And, and as a photojournalist, he gets to go off the base. And one time he uh, interviews and does an article for the, the base newspaper about uh, the first black general uh, in the Air Force, a guy named Chappie James. And, you know, and he goes around and he does, he interviewed Sandy Koufax once, you know, for the base. And he, he gets off the base and he gets to do different things. And so his name is always on this TDY list on the base for temporary duty. And one day he gets called into the personnel manager's office and they say, we've got a new, we've got a TDY assignment for you. This one's a little bit different. It involves hazardous duty pay and a bonus, okay? I can't tell you anything more about it right now, but that's the, you know, if you if you get involved in this, this is what's gonna be. So the guy, just being a 22 year old kid says, how much is the bonus? You know, and I said, $2,000, which is enough to buy a car back in 1967. So he just jumps into this thing. And the next thing that happens to him, and he's, he's sent to the base security officer, which is unusual because he's never, you know, been to the base security office before. And they tell him, well, you know, if you, we've got to do a little background on you. And he reiterates that it's it's going to be a dangerous, you know, could potentially be dangerous. And he pulls out a piece of paper and he makes him sign a non-disclosure statement. Okay. Um, if you agree to this, to, to go on this mission, you can't ever tell anybody about it. Just like Trump making his girlfriends or, or, or uh, Bloomberg, you know, making girlfriends. You know, it's, it's a non-disclosure statement. So, but he wants the money. So he, he signs up for it. And then finally he gets, he gets sent to one last person. And they say, what's going to, you know, he says, so what's the mission all about? And the guy says, I can't tell you. But you're going to be sent to another base. And there you're going to be outfitted in what's called equipment that's rigged for silent rock. And he, he's, a, he's a photographer. And, and he's going to be given the latest, most high-tech gadgetry that you could ever, you know, imagine. I mean, it's the stuff that's made out of, like, DARPA or the, the you know, the, the latest tech. So anyway, 
he gets sent to this other base. And and um, hold on, let me ask some real quick here, Douglas, because uh, yeah. we don't want to get too much into the book because we want we'd like people yeah, to, yeah. So, to listen to read it. But hold on, hold on. So is this is a fictional story that you've come up with? Is this based on anything you because you've done so much research? Well, is all the research I did prepared me to write the book. Okay, but I had written my first book about my father who'd been a prisoner of war in World War II. Okay, and um, uh, my father and I hadn't talked to each other for 10 years. And, and by the, when he asked me to, to come home and he told me he had this story to tell. And he, he had never told anybody in his life that he'd been a prisoner of war because when this camp was liberated, he was made to sign a non-disclosure statement. Things happened at this prisoner of war camp, which was out in the Philippines, and the book is called The Hotel Talk Loban. It was a military cover-up. So it turns out that my own father, you know, unknown to me until I was 30 years old, had been involved in a military cover-up. Now, so now that, did he, was he one of the top people making these decisions? Obviously, that goes very high up the food chain in the military. But was he one of the decision makers or was the lack of a better word? Was he just a pawn in this game? Well, being that's, you know, I mean, we're all just pawns. I mean, that's the, that's why it's an analogy. You know, I mean, except for like, you know, a few people at the top. It's this is the point is that young people, especially young men, join the military. Like my father joined World War II. He didn't sign up to be part of a military cover up. This guy signs up for this TDY assignment in 1967. He did not think that he was going to be part of a black operation. That in his life, you know, he was going to maybe get his limbs shot off. You know, and this is how you. This is one of the the ways it, it shows the mechanisms for sucking people into these things. And people start out with good intentions, just like a soldier's. And, you know, volunteered for duty in Vietnam. They did not know that they were going to be running into villages and burning the villages down and be involved with, a, you know, with civilians, shooting at civilians, you know, and, and not being able to tell the difference between, you know, who was a Viet Cong and who was a, a school teacher and, and whether this woman or this kid that they should fear. So all of us in this metaphorical way find ourselves sucked into these things you know now, sort of the the condition that we live in and that we innocently get involved in things and then before you know it they're out of control all right so anyway so anyway after this book the hotel talk Loban about my father came out i wanted to write about vietnam and so i sent the book to a guy named william colby who was a who had been the head of the cia at once the director of central intelligence. And he had run what was called the Phoenix program in South Vietnam. And he liked this book about my father. He said, okay, you'll understand. You'll understand that, you know, people in the CIA and the military end up doing things that the rest of us, rest of civilians don't really understand. And he thought that, well, he would help me to write this book on the Phoenix program, which was, again, a uh, very highly secretive, involved a lot of black operations in South Vietnam. It was a CIA program, and it involved soldiers going into 
villages and kidnapping or assassinating people who were thought to be cadres, members of the Viet Cong, okay? And they would send these young guys into the villages to do this stuff, and they had no idea. You know, they're told that there's a guy named Win Tin Tan, and he's on a blacklist. And they go into the village, and there's 10 people named Win Tin Tan. Oh, my you know, God. Like, what do you do? You know, I mean, and, 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 and so everybody's getting shot up, and it's just crazy. And, and, and that also, so these are the kinds of people that I was dealing with by the time my, my, I wrote my, my father's book came out in 1984. The Phoenix book came out in 1990, but in 1989, I had finished all the research. I had interviewed probably 100 CIA officers hundreds of military people who'd been involved in this Phoenix program. I learned all about the drug trade that was going on and how the CIA was running the drug trade in the Southeast Asia. I mean, and and I was learning all about black ops because at the time I lived in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which was a stone's throw from Fort Devens. And Fort Devens was where the 10th Special Forces was headquartered. And this is interesting. One day when I, in, in the midst of while I'm writing this book, I get a knock on my door. And there's a big tall guy standing at the door smoking a cigarette. He's about 6'4". Blonde hair, big guy. Looks like a bouncer. He said, are you Doug Valentine? And I said, yeah. You know, and he said, uh, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, well, put the cigarette out. Come on in. And he comes in. And he said, my name is Mike Nelson. Uh, the CIA, I used to be in 10 special forces and I live in the neighborhood and the CIA called me up and they know you're writing this book on the Phoenix program and they want me to befriend you, to make friends with you without you knowing it and to report on you and what you're doing back to the CIA. Oh my God. No, and, and he's this nice guy and he's sitting there, he's got a big smile on his face and he says, so I figured it would be a lot easier for you. And it would be a lot easier for me if I just told you what was happening and that in exchange for you keeping me informed about what you're doing with your research, I'll introduce you to a lot of old green beanies, guys who are in the special forces who still live around here, and they'll tell you all the stories that you want to know. And I said, yeah, sure. It sounds like a good deal to me. You know, I mean, and, and this guy started introducing me to all these people who were involved in black ops. And, and then, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what he would do. I guess he would periodically send a report back and say, you know, well, Valentine did this and Valentine did that. But he was basically setting the whole thing up. And, and that's how I started to learn just how crazy these guys are. OK, they're the guys that are involved in these black ops are not like regular soldiers. They're not young people. They're not 19, 20, 21 years old. They're adult men. You cannot tell them what to do. They do what they pretty much want to do. And if you're making them go on block operations, well, that's the price that you pay. You don't really control them. And they would tell me stories about the stuff that was going on in Vietnam. Now, the special forces are somewhere in between the CIA and the military. Oh, wow. Chain of command, all right? So like a, a general in, in Vietnam, didn't control these guys. They had their own officers and they did whatever they did. And they were involved in all these black operations. And they all had, because they worked for the CIA, what was called get out of jail free cards. 
Wow. And they could, yeah, they, they, they couldn't be arrested for doing illegal things because everything they did was illegal. And, <laughs> and they would get on what they called these blackbird flights that would leave Saigon. And they would fly up to what was called a base in Laos called Nakam Phanam Air Force Base, which was where the CIA and the, and the Air Force had a special base. And they were bombing the Ho Chi Minh Trail that went down from North Vietnam along the border between Laos and South Vietnam. And anyway, they would get on these Blackbird flights and they would go up there. Blackbird flights are intelligence flights that, that pick up radio communications. Okay. So they would just present a card. They would get on it. They would go, you know, without even be on the manifest, they would go to Laos. They would fly from Laos into Bangkok where they would buy opium, silk, rubies, all sorts of stuff on the black market. And then they would fly back into Saigon on another black blackbird flight and they would sell it. And these guys are, you know, when they're not on these life endangering missions, crossing, you know, uh, doing commando raids into Laos or North Vietnam or Cambodia or, you know, I mean, parachuting into enemy bases in the middle of the night and stuff like that. The CIA and the military let them do these you know, just enterprising things on their own. And, you know, and, and because it was, you know, an exchange. And, and so I learned about how black operations become a part of the black market. Let me ask you something, Douglas. Let me ask you something. It's really Let important cock in how the black market around the world works. Let me ask you something. Did they get into any details on some of the more darker black ops that they got into. And, oh, sure. and, and hold on. And real quick, is there a psychological exam that they have to take? And uh, do is it almost like they want psychopaths to basically... Well, it's like anything else. Test? You want to mix. You can't have a group of, you know, let's say, a, you know, the Special Forces as an A team, 12 guys, okay? What you want is six psychopaths and six normal human beings. You know what? You know, so so people are you know given psychological profiles, but they're not looking for one specific kind of personality. They want a guy who's cool. They want a guy who can lead. They want you know. So the psychological personality test says this guy will do whatever you tell him to do as long as you give him a, an ice cream cone at the end of it. You know, <laughs> and 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 this guy has the ambition and so he'll do the extra crazy things that you ask him to do so so the psychological profiles are not again cut and dry there's a whole range of personalities that you want and and they generally try to mix them together okay but they definitely want people who will do things that the rest of us are prohibited by our morality from doing okay for example one of the most uh, horrendous kind of black operations there is, is called black propaganda. And this is where it, it very simply, it can be pretending to be the North Vietnamese and setting up, a, setting up a radio station somewhere and broadcasting, having a Vietnamese person work for you and him saying that I'm a North Vietnamese person and, I'm, and, and, and send messages out to people and just change the messages ever so little bit so that it 
it makes the North Vietnamese look bad. Okay, so that's that's one kind of a black propaganda operation. Another kind is where soldiers dress up like the enemy, like the, the Green Berets worked with Vietnamese special forces. Well, a Green Beret might actually organize a group of South Vietnamese soldiers, dress them up in black patramas so they look like Viet Cong, and send them into a village where the people support the government of South Vietnam and wipe them all out. Damn. And mutilate them. Because again, now every, and leave a few survivors. And those survivors say, you know, I mean, it's very lurid, but they say the, the North Vietnamese, the Viet Cong came into our building, our village last night, and they, um, you know, uh, put some heads on spikes. They killed a pregnant woman. They did all these horrible, terrible uh, war crimes, and then they left. So now all of a sudden, everybody hates the North Vietnamese. But it's actually, and and, the, and the, there was a group in in South Vietnam called SOG, the Special Operations Group. And they did these sort of things. And of course, the CIA did these sort of things all the time. This is the sort of thing that the CIA does all the time. They do it in Afghanistan. They do it in Iraq. They set up militias. You know, the CIA doesn't really doesn't have it doesn't have an army of its own. It advises other armies, or it may have a very small paramilitary team. But they, this is the sort of thing that they do on a massive scale. This is what the, you know differentiates pretty much the CIA from the regular army or even the special forces. The CIA does these sort of black propaganda operations. This is its specialty. This is what it does. And it also does something else that the regular military doesn't do, and that steals drugs. <laughs> it's basically the CIA's behind... The entire drug trade, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in uh, Afghanistan and Vietnam. I mean, it is basically, I mean, the basis behind all these wars, uh, uh, Afghanistan, Vietnam, and the drug war is so the CIA can take over the war and control the war and make money on almost every single part of the drug war, which is the growing, the distribution, the sale, the and then the the law enforcement of it, uh, and, and arresting people, throwing them in jail. They own every bit of every moment of that tra- of that process. Yes, and and it's the same thing. The CIA recruits drug dealers. You don't have to actually be a CIA officer dealing drugs. What they do is, and and it's not just drugs, it's the arms trade, it's prostitution, it's the sex trade. Any kind of underworld industry, the CIA wants to be in control of it through its assets, whether they're Serbians, whether they're Afghanistans, Afghanis, whether they're Colombians, whatever country that there's a drug trade in or underground, an underworld, The CIA wants to control the entire underworld. You can't just control the drugs. You got to control all the other things that go along with it. And this, it also goes into like just murder. It goes into burglary. It goes into, uh, which was really important in South Vietnam, um, counterfeiting, 
currency. You can, what better way to undermine the economy of an enemy nation to deprint millions of dollars of its currency and, and have your secret agents smuggle it into that country and through the underworld start distributing it around all over the place that devalues you know, I mean, this is what you want to do in Iran. This is what these people do. So all these are, there's a whole range of block operations that occur, and most of them occur in the criminal underworld. I mean, we see it here in America, Doug. I mean, Doug, we've seen it with uh, the CIA, with the hippie movement, uh, ACID, wherever, you know, the Grateful Dead, wherever they went. That's how they distribute uh, acid to everybody, and then we have later on we, we you know we have the uh, you know the grunge scene in Seattle in the '90s, which was pushing prescription medication and heroin, and there was always this rumors that Courtney Love was a uh, CIA asset used to uh, get drugs into the music scene. So we've seen their their. I mean, like we can get in everything. I mean, we could even talk about. The crack epidemic of the 80s, where uh, crack flooded the inner cities. And, you know, later on, they, the, the CIA, CIA was CIA recruited uh, Freeway Rick Ross. Yeah. They for sure, they literally were giving me, him those me, drugs. Let me give you the perfect example, okay? After Castro took over Cuba, you know, I mean, the CIA, and, and he declared that he was communist, the CIA wanted to overthrow Cuba. Not only that, they wanted to kill Castro. They wanted to assassinate him. So who did they hire to do the job? A guy named Santo Traficante, who at the time was the biggest drug dealer in the United States. Okay, and and he had through the um, inherited in Cuba casinos and operation. He was he was partners with Batista, 50-50 with Batista and some Corsicans. The Corsicans would bring the heroin in from Southeast Asia, okay? And traffic and, and then Trafficante would arrange a um uh, what was called an auction down in Tampa. And mafia families from around the country would come to this auction and they would bid on the latest every month, every two months the latest load that Traficante had. He was the biggest drug trafficker in the United States. And who does the CIA hire to kill Castro? Santo Traficante. And for the rest of his life, after he was involved in this assassination attempt on Castro, he could never be arrested. Well, that's just one notorious, glaring example. I'm here to tell you that happens a hundred, a thousand times every day in every way all around the world. And it's just not, you know, the thing that made that glaring was that Trafficante was an American drug trafficker, but the CIA by and large is working overseas. So most of its stable of drug traffickers and arms traffickers and bankers and lawyers are people that are in foreign countries, okay? And that's who they deal with most of the time. So they, and, and then they can funnel all those proceeds that they make from all these illegal operations, it's all money off the books into their own, what they call proprietary companies. They use their own airlines. I'll give you another example. After World War II, 
the military and the CIA started hiring lots of Nazis, former Nazis. Yes, you yes. You know about that, right? Okay, so now these guys, if you were a Nazi collaborator in France, there was not much you could do to make a living. You know, the, the average people, if they could get a hold of you, would tear you limb from limb. So these guys needed work. So there was one guy, and Fletcher Prouty told me about this. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Fletcher Prouty, but he was wrote a book called The Secret Team and exposed a lot of this black operations world way back in the 70s. Fletcher told me how to, the CIA hired this guy who had been a, a Frenchman, Nazi collaborator, and they gave him money to start up an airline in Southeast Asia, okay? And they, he had like four pilots working for him, all former Nazi collaborators. That airline today is a major airline. Yeah. <laughs> it grew from being a small little airline with three planes falling drugs for the CIA and Southeast Asia. Like, you know, Trump turning one hotel into an, uh, you know, an empire, a worldwide empire of hotels turned it into a major airline. I mean, I see it advertised on TV and I laughed. I, I mean, you know, I'm in, on the you don't want to say the name of the airline. You don't want to say the name, you know, a legitimate airline and the CIA owns it. And, and this is, so it's not just airlines, it's banks, it's shipping companies. And it all comes out of these small little seed things that they do on the black market. Then they funnel the money into these, you know, regular businesses. And they set people up in these businesses. And they say, like in The Godfather, 10 years from now, I may need you to do something. You so know? you don't. And, 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 and the guy, you know, they're basically like just deep cover agents. And they may not use them maybe once every 10 years. So, Valentine, you don't want to name the airline that you think it is, allegedly? Well, I don't want to get sued, but, I, you know, someday I'll tell you, you know, but it's, um, it's funny because the translation means Blue Eagle. <laughs> and, and it had these pretty little blue and white airplanes and, and all the, all the um, uh, CIA's Air America planes. Are all blue and white too. Same little baby blue and white airplanes. Anyway, so this this all this stuff is just to give you an idea about what CD is about. Let me just go back to to the book and to tell you how it unfolds a little bit because this guy who I call Pete and and again it's 1989. The Phoenix program is going to come out by William Morrow, all right, which is my publisher, and they want me to get photographs for the book and I'm living in Fitchburg which is near Fort Devens so I go one I look up in the phone book and there's this guy who's got this little mom and pop shop you know he does weddings he does graduation photos you know I mean you know uh, bar misfits and 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 all that kind of stuff and I go there and we start talking he's my age a little bit older and I tell him you know he says oh you're a writer you got a book coming out what else have you written you know and I told him, well, you know, talk a little bit. And he, you know, then at one point he just says to me, you know, I'm a Vietnam vet. And I was in the Air Force. And uh, I lived there for a year. And I know about the I know about the Phoenix program because I had a Vietnamese wife. And um, they put her 
on the Phoenix hit list. And, and they told me if they wanted to get her, they knew that I was making money on the block market. If I wanted to get her off the Phoenix hit, hit list, I had to pay them $10,000. Wow. And so, so I know about all this stuff, but I wanted, he, he's Pete. He says, before I got to Vietnam in 1969, I actually was involved in a TDY operation, which is the operation that this the book is based on. So the oh, guy taking, taking my photograph for the Phoenix program book is starts telling me about this crazy operation that he was on that becomes TDY. And he said he joined he joined uh, VVAW after the war. Vietnam veterans against the war. Okay. And he came home and he was in VVAW. And you guys are too young to remember all this stuff. I'm 70, so I remember it very well, very well. But the VVAW was like on the FBI's the top of their hit list because they were telling people how the war was actually fought. And they were like reenacting search and destroy missions. They were having um news teleconferences, news conferences and stuff like that. And they, they actually did something called the Winter Soldier investigation in 1971, where guys just detailed all the war crimes they had participated in. So they wow. had, so this guy joined VVAW and he's, he lives in this little town in New York and they have a, CBS is going to do a, um, um, a broadcast of him and three other guys from VVAW telling about their experiences. And he told the, he told the, gave the 10 minute version of TDY on the CBS local network broadcast. And he goes home to watch it the next day with his parents and everybody else's story is broadcast, but his isn't. Okay. And the next day when he's walking home from college, he's going to college, he gets accosted by two guys in the, in the, um, in the parking lot. And they said, you know, you signed a non-disclosure statement saying that you would never talk about this stuff. And if you ever talk about it again, we will kill you. Oh my God, really? So, yes. Yeah, so he hasn't told anybody until I come along 17 years later. And because he thinks I will understand, because I, I have done all, I know how these operations work, I've talked with Vietnam veterans. I understand the psychology that's involved in it. You know, they're not going to just tell somebody who can't relate to their experience, but he knows I can relate to his experience. And sort of off the top of his head, he just tells me the whole story. We're standing, we're in his dark room. And I said, man, this would make a great book. You know, I mean, <laughs> this would make a really, really good book. Interesting. And he says, okay, but you just got to fictionalize it. You know, you can't. Ah. And I'll tell you the whole story. And so we did over, you know, course of a year, we did a bunch of taped interviews and I wrote the book. And, and, and that's how it got written. And it's about this guy who's just a photojournalist. A young guy gets sucked into this operation, which ends up with him thinking he's going to the Philippines on a photo recon mission, being spun off into something, the most harrowing experience of his life that results in him going to, you know, uh, having PTSD and going to therapy for like 20 years. 
you know, and I won't tell you all the difference, all the details of it, but to sum it up, it's a military operation spying on CIA drug trafficking. Okay, so hold on. So he is, he was asked, this guy in which we do not know, was asked to spy on the CIA drug trafficking. That's right. Him and him and three other tech technician guys, all right? And they who they they recruit from bases around the country. My guy, Pete, is a photographer. He gets the uh, long distance camera, okay? There's another guy also a photographer, and uh, he gets uh, even more, you know, telephoto lens. There's a video guy who's got this little dish, the little dishes that are like like about six inches wide that they can pick up a conversation a hundred yards away. Oh, wow. And then there's a, a and and there's a video guy who's going to videotape everything that's happening. And they hook these guys up with a paramilitary team. Army Rangers. And they're under the command of a, you know, this veteran commando guy who just, who's only injured, you know, his, since you call me the major. And these guys, the four techs, get put into a plane and they're, they're basically hijacked. They have no, once they have signed up for this thing, these Army Rangers are more like their bodyguards than their protectors. And they get they get hijacked into this operation that they have no control over. And and by the time they find themselves walking through the Laotian jungle, there's no way that they can get out of it. And it's like what I'm telling you at the beginning of this show. At some point when everything spins out of control, when everything is beyond your control and you don't even know why you're doing it or who's the name of the guy is that next to you, nobody's allowed to use their real name. What do you do? Well, that's when you just do what's practical to stay alive, okay? And, and you stop questioning what's going on. And you asked about psychological profiles earlier. Well, the, C the CIA and the military understand that if you can suck somebody into these kind of operations, at some point, they just gotta go with the flow. You know, there's a, that once you can suck them into it, they just got to now revert to what they know to do. How Which to, is survive. How to load and how to shoot. How to follow it when the, when the boss tells you to do something, you don't ask them why. You just do it. And, and that's how my guy gets through this operation. He says, you know, at some point he says, well, I'm just going to do what these army rangers do. Whatever that's what I'm going to do. You know, and, and, and anyway, um, uh, it's sort of a surprise. And what happened? Wow. Not everybody gets out of this thing alive, you know, and, but my guy does. And, and there's a moral, a bigger moral to the story, which I won't spoil for your readers if they want to go buy this book. I don't know if you can see it, but T.D. Wine. It's going to make a great movie when it's made into a movie. Douglas, Douglas, this is a great episode, man. Uh, so basically, dude, you know, I uh, this is incredible, dude. I mean, they, they're basically running black ops 
on the CIA's running black ops and then the military's running black ops on the CIA's black ops. And we're just basically throwing our children into, um, we're throwing our children into harm's way. Once again, we are taking our sons and daughters uh, and throwing them into uh, banker wars and big pharmaceutical wars. And they're laying their lives on the line. And it just really is sad. It's sad. And, uh, and I'm very glad you say that because that's the whole meaning of this book. You know, I mean, you can over you can overlook the thing and the intricacy and the excitement and the adventure of how this thing unfolds. But that is the point. The young and the innocent are getting sucked into these things, just like they're getting sucked into everything all the time by the old farts who run this country. <laughs> and they and they have, you know, when you when you get into the military, you're expendable. You sign up and you think, well, they're gonna teach me how to how to repair a helicopter, or they're gonna teach me how to be a communications person. And then the next day you find yourself in the midst of a of a battle. You know, and you say, well, you know, and then horrible things happen. And the last thing you want to do is have anything to do with the military for the rest of your life. You know, and, and, and so a lot, most people don't even, so many people come back from being part of these things and they don't even take advantage of the benefits, the few little benefits that are, you know, available to them and stuff like that. Because you get so cynicized when you see this up close and personal. And the only people who are actually having fun and making a living on it are these old professional soldiers like the guy that came to my door that day. The adult men who make a career out of this stuff, okay? And, and, and the bosses that they work for, the Dick Cheney's, the Donald Rumsfeld's who, who, who own the corporations like um, what was Cheney's com uh, co company called? You know, um, the one that yeah. made billions of dollars in Iraq. Yeah. The yeah, construction yeah, yeah. company over there, you know, and, and in Iraq, something like a trillion dollars went missing. That's completely unaccountable for. Yeah. It goes into the pockets of these guys and, 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 and the young people in this country who are trained from the time they're very young to be patriotic and obedient and to, and to salute and to, and to love the flag and the country. I mean, when you start going through, when you start seeing all the examples that I've seen, you get synthesized very, very quickly as to what the motives are of the people who run our country and how they are capable of anything, including, and again, I don't want to raise the blood pressure of your, <laughs> your audience here, but they're, they're, they're capable of biological warfare. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, first of all, Dick Cheney's company was Halliburton. They just fleeced everybody. Uh, you know, Dick Cheney's on a bunch of different companies. That He's on a company right now that's trying to steal land from the Syrians. Uh, Israel is selling it off to the Syrians. He's doing sure. that right now. And, yeah, going you know, heights. And, and, and everything. And, it, you know, especially now that the technology is so advanced and, and everybody is tech dependent now. It's so much easier to control everybody through, and this will be the last thing I say because I'm pooping out, but yeah, me too. <laughs> the, 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 the most important black operation 
the most important psychological operation is the propaganda that's being broadcast to us every day. Yeah. And, and now that the internet has made it a global community, there's no differentiating between the propaganda that the CIA broadcasts at Afghanistan or at France or at Russia or at China from the, from the propaganda that they broadcast at us. You know, the, and again, it's not just, and the young people are most susceptible to this. You know, once you get to be a little older, you start seeing through it. But we are so inundated. We're all part, through this propaganda, through the media, we're all living in a virtual black operation. And again, that's why this book, TDY, is, a, is an allegory of the modern times. Well, uh, we appreciate you, Douglas, especially with the uh, setup that we had to do today due to this Corona 1984 virus. I appreciate you. His book is TDY. He's Douglas Valentine. We'll do it again so soon. I appreciate everybody who's listening. Uh, you know, we had a couple audio issues, so but we want to give you guys your tinfoil hat fix. Uh, Xavier, thank you. Uh, Johnny, thank you. Please go check out Douglas Valentine's book, TDY. Uh, may the swarm find you, Douglas, and love you. And uh, we appreciate everybody so much. And uh, during the keep checking for we're cranking out episodes, and we will uh, talk to you all soon. Again, go to download the Grubhub app, use the promo code SAMT, and uh, get $10 off, $15 or more, or your first $15 or more audio. Uh, order for new customers. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you soon. Douglas, take care of yourself. Be uh, be safe, and uh, we'll do it again soon, okay? Take care, everybody. Thank you very much.